As choir makes their way to their seats, would you take your Bibles, please? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll be looking for a few moments at verses 25 through 32. Joy and I have five grandchildren. The youngest one is a little girl, uh, 22 months old. She is the most rambunctious of the five. <laughs> she uh, is a busybody. She just can't be still. She's into everything. And if you tell her to do something, if it suits her, all right. If it doesn't suit her, that's all right with her, too. So one day, Joy was keeping her, and uh, Joy had to run upstairs to the children's room to get something for her. And in our house, there's a catwalk that connects the two bedroom wings upstairs, and it looks down over the great room where this child was. Well, as soon as Joy left to run upstairs, she wasn't going to be gone but a minute or so, this little girl goes over and she pulls open the drawer to the coffee table where Joy keeps her crossword books, and she started taking out the crossword books and the pen and everything. Well, about that time, Joy about walked back out of the room, and she said, Arden, I see you. Well, Arden couldn't see her, so she was like, where is she? What's going on? And Joy said, you're not supposed to be in that drawer. Put the books back in the drawer and close the drawer. And the little girl's going. And Joy says, do it now. She stuffed those books back in there and slammed the drawer shut. <laughs> now, if you have children, or if you had children, you know that sometimes you have to tell those children, don't do that. That's not the right thing to be doing. And sometimes you have to tell the children, this is the right thing to do. This is what I want you to do. Well, God's our Heavenly Father, and sometimes He tells us things that we're not supposed to be doing, and other times He tells us things that we are supposed to be doing. In the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, this is exactly what we find. We find God saying about some things, don't do that. And then He says, but do this. And in particular today, you know, this has to do with relationships in the church. He's telling us some things not to do and some things to do so that the relationships among our church family will be what they're supposed to be. So let's look at this passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, if you look at this passage, you will notice that things are kind of grouped here. Groups and pairs. Don't do this, do do that. 
and it, and it refers to the same thing. And it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you get rid of something in your life that's not supposed to be there, but you put something back in its place. Jesus told a parable one time about a man who had had a demon cast out of him. And the demon went out and wandered around for a while and went back to, to, to see what was going on with the man and found that the, you know, he was still empty. And so he went and got seven other demons and they all moved in together. So that the last state of the man was worse than the first. We, we can't stay empty for long. We've got to have something worthwhile in us. Same way with behaviors. You know, it's not enough just to stop a bad behavior. You've got to replace it with a good behavior. And so that's what we're going to see here in this passage. And it's grouped in several areas. And as it's grouped in several areas, it uh, is uh, helping us to see the thing that we're supposed to stop doing and the things that we are supposed to do. And every Sunday morning, this thing has a demon in it, I think. So. <laughs> That seem to want to work properly. I know it's on. I think I'm mashing the right button. I'm not getting a thing with it. Let's try it one more time. There we go. Okay. Finally decided to wake up. All right. First of all, it talks about truthfulness. And with the truthfulness, it you know tells us some things. There in verse 25, speak, put off falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbor. Now, you know, put off falsehood. Lying has no place in the Christian life. We just don't need to seek to get along in life by lying. Some people do. You know, that, that's the way they operate. But here is clear. Put off falsehood. No, don't speak that way anymore. Instead, we are to... Uh, well, there it goes. <laughs> Why is it so slow today? We're to, to depend on each other. We have to depend on each other as believers. As our nation becomes more and more pagan, and it seems to be getting that way quicker and quicker, we're going to have to depend on each other more and more. Because the more we stand for righteousness, the more we're going to be attacked. And Jesus just made that plain. And so we've got to depend on one another. You can't depend on somebody if you can't trust their word. We've got to be able to believe one another so that when somebody says, I'm going to do that, you know they're going to do it. You know they've got your back. And so that's the way it's supposed to work. We're to depend on one another. And as we depend on one another, it reminds us that we are to speak truthfully with each other. And if you go back to verse 15 in this same chapter, it says, speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes you can tell somebody the truth and do it in such a way that it's hurtful. So you speak the truth to them, but you always do it in love. So when you speak the truth, then you are working with be able to uh, become a part of one another and to share with one another and to help one another in every way that we need to help one another. We didn't need to get to that one quite yet. <laughs> We belong to each other. You know, we are part of one body. You know, your eye is not going to lie to your foot if the eye sees a snake close by ready to strike. And you know, we don't need to lie to one another. We, we've got to look out for one another. We're part of the same body. So as part of the same body, 
We, we have to be truthful with one another. So lying doesn't have any place in the body of Christ. And then we have the, Lucas, I'm just going to let you run it best as possible. Then we have the uh, part about anger. We've got to manage anger. Now, you know, notice what it says here. In your anger, does it say, do not be angry? You're going to get angry. I mean, that's just an emotion that periodically we experience. No, we get angry. So it's not saying don't be angry, but it's saying don't let the angry anger get the other hand. In your anger, do not sin. There are different kinds of anger. You know, there's a righteous anger. You know, the, the righteous anger that Jesus had when he cleansed the temple, you know, drove out the money changers. There are some things we should be angry about. We, we should be angry about bullying. You know, when you see someone in school or somewhere else being bullied, you ought to be angry about that, angry enough to do something. You know, we ought to be angry about the sexual exploitation of children. That's something that ought to make us angry, and we ought to try to figure out what can be done to help that kind of thing. There, there is hunger. That ought to make us angry that people in a land of abundance like ours go hungry. We ought to figure out better ways to do things. There, there are just certain things that should make us angry. And then there's what we might call the everyday routine anger, the anger that we experience all along. You know, we're just, you know, we're going to get angry with our mates. We're going to get angry with our children. We're going to get angry with our parents. We're going to get angry with the core workers. We may even get angry with each other in church. You know, those things just happen. The Scripture isn't saying, don't ever be angry. But it's saying, you better watch out for it. And you better manage it in the right way. And notice that it says here, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's just saying, resolve it as quickly as possible. You know, don't let it sit around and fester. Worked with a couple one time. They'd been married 25 years, and then all of a sudden, the wife changed. She was angry. No matter what he did, he was angry. I mean, she was angry about it. He couldn't do anything right. She was angry. And as we began to talking about things and trying to figure out what was going on, there had been things that had been irritating her for 25 years. She hadn't said anything, she hadn't said anything, she hadn't said anything. All of a sudden, the lid blew off, and she was angry about everything. And he didn't know why at first, but we finally figured it out. You can't just let it sit there and boil. You need to work through it in a constructive way. Now, the problem is there are inappropriate ways of dealing with anger. You know, we can you know, use anger to hurt other people to open old wounds. We can use anger to escalate what's going on. But, the, but the, that's the why we come back to, you know, managing our anger. You know, dealing with it in an appropriate way, dealing with it in a timely manner. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And notice what else he says. Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give Satan a foothold. He's looking for one. And he can use anger as his tool. And he can use it to destroy a marriage, a relationship, a church. You know, 
he can get us wild up and angry about things that probably don't matter too much in the long run and we start deciding, all right, I've had enough of this people, I'm out of here. And that's just the devil's work. So realize that there are going to be times when we're angry, even with one another in the church, but work through it and decide how we can best handle it so that the devil doesn't get a foothold. And then he talks about possessions. He reminds us that, you know, those who have been stealing are to steal no longer. So, you know, there are just certain things that, you know, we're not supposed to do and we're not supposed to steal. J. Edgar Guest said the ancient stars are in their uh, places because they're out of reach of predatory hands. You know, it's just that people will steal anything they can reach. Now, now, sometimes we need to be reminded of that. You say, oh, preacher, I don't steal. Are you sure? Huh? Do, do, you, do you steal from an, a company? You know, a corporation? You know, you, 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 one person downloads some music on his iPod and shares it with 15 others? Well, and so the company loses money? Or do you steal from the government? You don't quite support all your income? Or you take some deductions you don't really have? Do you steal from your employer? I'm just going to borrow some stamps. Trouble is, you just never remember to pay those stamps back. Or you, well, the boss left early. I think I'll leave early today too. Or, oh, I think nobody's looking. I, I believe I'll check my email. It's not the business email. Sometimes we steal from our employer. So sometimes we steal knowledge. You cheat on a test. You take credit for what somebody else at work did. Sometimes we need to be reminded that, yeah, we do steal, and the Scripture says, don't steal. Instead of stealing, we're to do some productive work. Paul says, don't steal, work. Now, you work so that you can provide for your own needs in an appropriate way for the needs of your family. Sometimes you do a, you work because you're hoping that your work contributes something to society, but primarily you work so that you can help others. You know, that, that, that's, that's a kind of a different concept, isn't it? We, we steal because we're looking out for self, but we give because we're looking out for others. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus set the example and Jesus gave us that in teaching. In Acts 20, 35, Paul said, I showed you that by this kind of hard work you must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so, God gives us some instructions on what not to do concerning possessions and what we're supposed to do concerning possessions. And then he says to us, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now he talks to us about our speech. He talks to us about what does come out of our mouths. And, you know, sometimes it gets a little hard to control what comes out of our mouths. There's an old story from the Jewish Talmud about a king who called in two of the jesters in his court, and he sent the first one out to go into the world and find the very worst thing he could possibly find. And he left, and he sent the other one out to go out into the world and find the very best thing that he could find. Well, after a while, they both came back. They both had little packages all wrapped up. 
And so the first one opened his passage package, and what he had inside was a tongue. Worst thing in the world. And the other one came in, and he opened up his package, and what he had inside was a tongue. The best thing in the world. That's just is, isn't it? Depending on how we use it, our tongue can be a bad thing, or our tongue can be a good thing. Sometimes our tongue is a bad thing. You know, we, we take our tongue and we use it for gossip, or we use it in profanity, or we use it in harsh criticism, or we use it in slander, or we use it in venting anger, or we use it in tearing others down. Yeah, the tongue can be a terrible instrument in our bodies that is used to destroy reputations and sometimes to destroy lives. But the tongue can be a good thing. The tongue can be a blessing. One of Job's comforters, Eliphaz, said to him, your words have kept men on their feet. And sometimes we do that with our words, don't we? We build up people. We help people. You know, we can take someone who's discouraged and bring them an encouraging word. We can take someone who's lonely and bring them a word of love. We can take someone who is just, you know, guilty of a sin and give them a word of grace. We can tell all of them about a God who loves and is Father and wants to help. We can encourage people with our words. So we're careful with our words. The tongue can be a bad thing, and the tongue can be a good thing. And then we have something else. We have something about what I want to call uh, housekeeping. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, what you do to, you know, make sure that the building where you live is spick and span and clean. I'm a little afraid to do that because there may be some words of criticism and there may be some words of sarcasm if we start talking about that. But I'm talking about our lives, the, the house cleaning in our lives, the things that Paul says, throw away. In other words, the trash in our lives, then we get to get out. What happens if your life, what happens to your house if you never empty the trash? Uh, it begins to smell up the place, doesn't it? All right. There's some trash that needs to be out of your lives. So he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slanger, every form of malice. Have you ever seen people who are angry, just angry all the time? They're bitter. You know, they're angry because they hadn't got out of life what they think they ought to get out of life. They're angry at God because they don't think God's done for them and treated them the way they wanted to be treated. They're angry at their mate because marriage hadn't worked out like they expected it to. They're angry at their boss. They're angry at their neighbors. They may even be angry at their fellow church members if they come to church. They're just angry. You know, we need to get rid of that anger. You know, don't let it Sim over and boil over. Those are things that need to be thrown out. They don't have any place in our lives. But there are some things that are good things. 
and the good things we need to cultivate and make sure stay there. Verse 32, we find kindness and compassion and forgiving. So we're to be kind to each other. Now, we don't know what anyone else is going through. You don't know what they've faced this past week. Be kind. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Show them the kindness that you've been shown. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the Scripture says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a couple of amazing verses. Because of God's kindness and His love, He saved us. And, and notice what He says, not because of the righteous things we had done. We aren't saved because we've been good. We aren't saved because you know, we're worthy to be saved. We are saved because God is kind. He doesn't treat us as we really deserve. He treats us with kindness. He does it out of love. And that's how we're supposed to act with one another. And then he says, be compassionate to one another. Put yourself in the other person's place. See what they're going through. Be compassionate toward them. Give them the, the help that they may need. Not just a compassionate feeling, but an action that will make a difference in their situation. And then he says, forgive each other. We are to forgive each other. Now, it's pretty easy for me to say, forgive each other. Pretty hard to forgive, isn't it? Forgiveness might be the th one thing in this whole passage that's the hardest for us to do, but you know, it's what God has done for us. That's what he said, just as in Christ, God forgave us when we didn't deserve to be forgiven. When Jesus taught us how to, <clears throat> taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, <clears throat> excuse me, the model prayer, he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We ask forgiveness <clears throat> on the basis of God's mercy with the understanding that we understand God's given, forgiven us when we didn't deserve to be forgiven, we're to do the same for others. Jesus went on to say, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thinking forgiveness is a door. If you open the door for forgiveness to come into you, then that forgiveness is go out to others. But if you close the door so that your forgiveness won't go out to others, then the forgiveness of God for you can't come in. So he reminds us to be forgiving. Now, what's the purpose in all of this? Look back at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we become believers, when we become part of the family of God, when we receive God as our Father, He comes to live within us through His Holy Spirit. And that seals our salvation. Paul made that clear earlier on in, a, in this book when he said, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit who is guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us, seals us for our salvation, and we're not to grieve Him. Put it another way, you know, God is three persons, God is one. It means we don't want to disappoint our Heavenly Father. So we're going to take the things in our life that don't belong there and not do them. And we're going to do the things that are right because we want to please Him. Because of all He's done for us. And because of what He's forgiven us. And because He's been kind to us. And because of what He's going to do for us. We want to please that God. If you are a parent, you know that you aren't pleased when your children don't get along, whether they're still children or whether they're your adult children. God isn't pleased when we don't get along in the church. We're His children, all of us who belong to Him. And so, in our relationships with one another, don't do certain things. And in your relationships with one another, do the things that God has called you to do. Maybe today, the Spirit of God has convicted you of some sin in your life, and you need to confess it and stop it. Maybe today, God's shown you some things you need to start doing, and you will make a commitment to start being obedient to Him and doing those very things. Maybe today, you realize that God is a kind, loving, heavenly Father, wants you for His child so that you can become like Him and so that you can grow in the things of the faith and so that you can have a heavenly home with this kind, loving, heavenly Father who wants to bless you forever and ever and ever. And if you could, would respond to what God is leading you to do, do so publicly so that He will receive the glory and so that your commitment will be made more real. Our invitation hymn is number 433.